Welcome to Group Thinkers, everyone. I'm your host, Justin McCord. I've got Ronnie Richard with me. Uh, and today's guest, guest for this episode, Lindsay Ayero of Feeding America. Lindsay, welcome. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, you guys work with so many Feeding America food banks. So whenever uh, we get the opportunity to have these kind of conversations with you, I look forward to it. So thanks. Thanks again. Likewise. Likewise, Lindsay. Okay. So you were just saying off screen, off camera, off recording or whatever, you threw out that Pod Save America is one of your favorite podcasts. And, uh, and so I'm just kind of, we like, we do this thing and we're upwards. Uh, uh, I mean, we're, we've been doing this now, what, Ronnie, four years, three years, something like that. About, yeah, three or four. We've done a lot of episodes and I don't know that I've ever really talked about other podcasts like outside just it, so I'm curious Lindsay what other what other things do you listen to if you weren't listening to Pod Save America what other podcasts are in like your short list of things that uh, that you regularly tune into great question um, so I will say my podcast consumption has gone down significantly since I no longer have a driving commute to work but my favorites definitely Pod Save America Pop Culture Happy Hour on NPR and Brene Brown. Those would those would be my top three. All right, cool. I, I a little bit of everything in there. A little bit of everything, but it, it helps kind of add a little dimension to who we know that you are, right? Whenever you hear those things, Ronnie. What about you? I don't know. I, I don't know how much of an avid uh, podcast listener are, are you. Well, like Lindsay said, I used to listen to podcasts when I had a 40-minute commute each way to and from work at a previous job. Now that I'm working from home all the time, really the only ones I listen to are fantasy sports podcasts, just trying to get some tips, fantasy pros being the, the primary one. So it's gone down quite a bit, my podcast consumption. We're not doing a good job of marketing the podcast that we're on, you guys. We keep talking about not listening. It's not actually <laughs> Best way to start, but it's real, but it's real. Yeah, I mean, I, so earlier this year, I fell into uh, the rabbit hole around Dead Eyes, Dead Eyes, the podcast, which was a kind of a pop culture uh, related, Tom Hanks related podcast. And so it was a series and I had to make time. I would go on very long walks uh, for hours at a time, and my wife would be like, "Where are you? What are you doing?" I'm like, I'm, I'm listening to Tom Hanks stuff. Don't worry about it. Like, I'm just, I'm trying to. So, so Dead Eyes is one. Uh, I have been a uh, Dax uh, Shepard fan for a long time, and so Armchair Expert is definitely one that I like to listen to. And then uh, Think Fast, Talk Smart is one kind of in the communication space that. I would like to listen to as well. So, yeah, you know, like I said, Lindsay, it adds some dimension, right? To, to yep. when we learn those things, learn those things. So, um, so group thinkers on each and every episode, we bring someone in from the nonprofit space that's got an interesting or unique point of view. Lindsay, um, you've told us that you have that, so we're trusting you with that today. Um, but you, uh, you definitely do. You definitely have a unique point of view. In this, uh, being able to see across uh, the landscape of what's happening in one particular sector with food banks um, gives 
us tremendous interest in your perspective and point of view. And so each and every episode, we, we try to dive in on a topic and just understand as much of it as possible uh, so that our listening audience can then take it and uh, apply some learnings or be challenged in what they're doing. And hopefully it's something that helps them continue to move their fundraising and marketing forward. So, um, yeah, so Lindsay, super excited to have you, Director of Direct Marketing Fundraising Services at Feeding America. Um, how did you get to Feeding America? Like, talk us through your journey and how you went from the, well, I don't want to ruin your journey, but you've, you've touched the agency side, you've touched the client side, and now you're kind of client agency, weird hybrid combo. So talk us through your journey. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, well, I started my career at digital and marketing agencies. I worked for a variety of for-profit clients. And after about a decade, was just looking for that change, you know, wanted something that felt just more purposeful, really interested in being in a mission-oriented organization. Um, you know, from being in the agency world, you can be working 10, 12, 14-hour days. Burnout is real. Um, and while I wasn't opposed to working those kind of hours, I wanted to really feel like I was doing it for a reason. Um, and I could feel good about the work that I was doing when I came home at the end of the day. So I, I really appreciated my time in the agency world. I got exposed to a lot of different clients and different sectors, but I was really ready to just fully immerse myself in one organization, one program, one mission, and was just so excited when there was an opportunity at Feeding America. I joined the team in 2014 as director of digital engagement at the time. And in that role, I oversaw feedingamerica.org, the social media program, email program, and all online fundraising. So it was really the first chance that I had to apply that digital marketing background in the nonprofit space and really learn the nuts and bolts of fundraising. After about three years, I um, was starting a family. I wanted to move back to Northeast Ohio, which is where I'm from. Um, and I had a chance to transition to become the director of development at the Greater Cleveland Food Bank. So it was a great opportunity to expand my fundraising experience beyond just um, the online space to include direct mail, as well as major gifts, grant making, corporate giving, special events, and really learn about food bank operations and programs on the ground. Um, that's where I lived through the early months of the pandemic. And I can honestly say that there is nowhere else I would have wanted to be during that time. And then um, early last year in 2021, I had the opportunity to come back to Feeding America in my current role on the network fundraising services team. So our group is part of the Strategic Capacity Development Department, and we support food banks across the country with their fundraising efforts. And I'm specifically focused on developing resources and services to help increase that direct and digital fundraising capacity. So as you kind of said, it's really the perfect blend of my past experience at the food bank, at Feeding America, and even in the agency world to kind of be almost an, an in-house kind of consultant or agency um, for, for food banks across the country and, and really help them with all of their digital and direct um, fundraising needs. So the, uh, you know, as a, you're looked at, you are seen as a consultant and a guide, right? And a resource, but you've, you've got such a wide client base, 
So, so talk about some of the challenges that that you and your team face in providing, you know, ongoing strategic consultation and or helping build capacity for teams that tend to be very thin, right? And certainly thin and or strapped from the last two years. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's um, it is a really unique and interesting role because I do think that um, you know we we look at ourselves as consultants, um, but in a lot of ways we're also connectors and we're conveners. Um, you know, we don't do this work for the network; we do it with the network. Um, it's really about recognizing that there are incredible. Um, best practices and case studies across the network that everyone can learn from. And we really see our role as being able to um, collect those and, um, you know, highlight them and take some of the legwork out of the network members to do that level of um, kind of best practice sharing on their own, but to kind of operationalize it. Um, but, you know, to your point, like you said, there's, um, it's a really diverse network. And there's a saying, if you've been to one food bank, you've been to one food bank. At this point, I've probably been to maybe 20 or 25 food banks, um, and I can say that, that that is very true. There are definitely through lines and similarities between all of the different members, which is what makes the network um, so incredible and amazing because you can share these best practices and case studies but each community is different, each food bank is different, the way that their fundraising or their marketing department is organized and staffed is different, their technology is different. And so we need to really recognize that and you know, we'll, we'll try to uh, think about where there are some similarities, where we can really lean in to, to where those similarities are and where there are differences, we really have to take the approach that we're gonna meet members where they are and recognize those unique aspects of their program and know that you know, we're, not, we're not gonna be able to take a one size fits all approach. Yeah, I think that's super important. That's, uh, that's, that's an area where, Lindsay, I appreciate that there's like-mindedness in how we work with the food bank clients that we work with in terms of, you know, providing outsourced fundraising services uh, and the way that the network works with them is that it can't be one size fits all. It can't even be one size fits most because each one is different and each one has nuances both in its uh, its operational makeup, right? The leadership styles within, the market that it serves, like there are so many variables. And so you're right, being able to draw upon best practices and inspire each other and educate each other and help each other, but not replicate, right? I think that's a, a, an important distinction there. So, um, okay, so you are a part of the, the group that transitioned uh, jobs in the midst of the pandemic. And, uh, and so, I, you know, I definitely want to hear a little bit about, uh, a little bit about that. But I, I really, you know, Lindsay, we're, we're landing the plane on this episode on conversations that we've been having about digital transformation. And we're moving into uh, a, a handful of episodes that are dedicated to unpacking and wrestling with uncertainty. And you can't have one without the other right now, right? Digital transformation brings with it some level of uncertainty. The last two years have brought with it 
an incredible amount of uncertainty and the road ahead is definitely paved with uncertainty. So uh, talk to us a little bit about that acceleration in digital over the last two-ish years and what that has looked like for food banks in general, how they've wrestled with the uncertainty and the lean in on digital and the the common pieces of, of strategy and guidance that you've been providing uh, even recently as they think about what, what the road ahead looks like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, I was, I was at the Greater Cleveland Food Bank um, during 2020. So I um, was able to see just the huge increase in online giving firsthand at, at my former food bank. And now I get to see at this, you know, macro level, the data that's coming in and the conversations and the trends that we're hearing from the network. Um, you know, overall, online giving exceeded direct mail for the first time ever across the Feeding America network in 2020. Um, and we know from data that, that RKD has shared that about 70% of new donors in those first couple of months of the pandemic were acquired online. So there was no question that there was this acceleration, as you said, um, for giving in that, in that online channel. Um, online giving across the network has grown 420% since 2019, which is one of those numbers that it's hard to even wrap your head around. Um, you know, the majority of that growth took place between 19 to 20, but even when we look at fiscal 20 to 21, we still saw a 45% increase year over year. You know, in fact, if you exclude the incredibly generous gifts um, from Mackenzie Scott to, to network members last year, online giving was the largest source of revenue across the network, hands down. So, you know, all of those, um, all of those stats just point to the importance of this, this online channel. I think what we saw across the network was that some food banks were more ready for that shift than others. Some had the kind of infrastructure in place, the systems in place, the processes, you know, optimized donation forms, while others weren't necessarily as prepared to capture that huge increase of online gifts. Um, and that has caused some, some differences in terms of how folks, you know, continue to continue to respond. One example of that is with monthly donations. You know, we saw a huge influx from a just a strategy perspective and wanting to focus on monthly donors as a way of really being able to continue to steward, but really retain these donors who were interested in giving at the beginning of the pandemic. And, you know, some food banks had more established monthly giving programs ready to go versus those who were kind of quickly trying to um, stand up those programs to, to really take advantage of, um, you know, what, what opportunities existed with that kind of sustained, you know, recurring, recurring giving. Um, but we have seen like monthly givers increase tremendously through the network, 50 to 60% year over year gains in the number of monthly donors, which was really encouraging for us as we know that folks have been so laser focused on the idea of retention and really trying to understand what these new COVID donors looked like, how they were going to behave both in the short term and in the long term. But monthly giving and online giving really go hand in hand. And I've been really encouraged to see 
just the way that the network has embraced that strategy. We have a network-led monthly donor group. So there are two network members who basically volunteered and put out a call to other network members to say, hey, is this something you're all interested in? We can have monthly meetings. We can talk about this. We can share facts. Um, they have a dedicated Yammer group and a really, um, it's a really well-oiled machine at this point. The group's been around for about 18 months now. And that's a perfect example of where, you know, we love to see that type of energy bubble up from the network. It's not something that is Feeding America led, but we're there to support them however we can, um, you know, giving them Yammer groups and other kind of technology to enable those conversations arming them with data from our network activity report so they really understand kind of what those trends look like across the network and they can be talking about where they are in terms of benchmarks with, with their peers. So, you know, there's just been a lot of, lot of organic growth in, in that space. And it's just been really exciting to see how um, folks have really embraced the opportunity of, of taking a digital first approach. Yeah, Lindsay, uh, sustainer growth is is so key right now, and and it's something that beyond just food banks, I know every nonprofit is looking for ways to bring in monthly donors. You've kind of mentioned that one of the key things before you know going into the pandemic was, for lack of a better term, this sort of the haves and have-nots of who had a, a digital program that was established and who you know was a little bit behind. As we're looking kind of now and looking forward, what are some of the areas you're seeing that food banks are investing in when it comes to online, whether it's channels or technology or tools or whatever, like what are some of the things and, and you know, realizing that this is a range from, you know, the size of the food bank and their and the complexity of their programs. But um, yeah, so what are, what are they kind of looking at? And, and then what is Feeding America doing to sort of help them through this process? Yeah, yeah. You know, a couple of big buckets come to mind. The first is just staffing overall, regardless if you're talking about, you know, online giving or just the the increase in fundraising as a whole. But when it comes to, to digital growth, I think staffing is a big piece, whether it's just dedicating someone to direct marketing and annual fund or for food banks who maybe already have that role in place, looking for somebody dedicated for the digital program. Um, so a lot of a lot of staffing conversations are happening across the network. The second area would be technology, as you kind of said, you know, software and processes were really pressure tested during the pandemic with just the huge influx in the number of donors, the number of gifts. Many food banks outgrew their existing systems. And thankfully, that increase in fundraising has allowed them to reinvest in their technology for that sustainable long-term growth. And, you know, there's a lot of components of that technology piece. So, you know, we have folks who are looking at just a donor database migration. We, we have seen um, food banks who are looking at what their eCRM is or their online fundraising platform, their email marketing system, um, and also a lot of focus and attention in terms of how their marketing and fundraising tech stack is synced and what technology is needed to really make sure that those um, different softwares are working well together, the data is being shared and synced between them to really unlock the ability to do really strong digital fundraising, which at its heart is segmentation, personalization, analytics, making business data-driven decisions. So, so technology has been another big area. And then I would say the third 
and intentionally say it third because they think it's important. The other two elements are in order before um, before this last investment area is really paid digital media. So before putting a ton of additional media into driving more traffic to your website or more, more donors, I think having the staffing and the technology piece in place is really critical. But we have also seen an increase in paid digital media and a lot of analysis between how much of my acquisition budget should I be investing offline versus online. And we've definitely been trying to talk to members about the importance of it's not about robbing Peter to pay Paul. We're not just moving money from mail online, but let's really think about what this holistic investment should look like. What's the right balance to get to that long-term growth and donor value that, that we're really trying to achieve. And this one is an area where I think there has been a little bit more of a struggle. Food bank fundraising programs have largely been built on direct mail and over time, leadership, CEOs, CFOs, board members, they have become accustomed to seeing a fundraising budget with a big line item for direct mail, and they've become comfortable with it. But as soon as you start to say, here's a, here, we're, we're reducing this a little bit, but we're, we're going to invest over here in the online space, all of a sudden that unknown budget item falls under a lot of scrutiny. They want to know what the ROI is. There's also sometimes this perception that like online is supposed to be free doesn't cost the same amount to send an email as it does mail because there's not hard production and postage costs. Or there's a perception that, you know, really good social media, you just need to hire somebody out of college who like gets social. So the, the investment in the paid digital media, I think is really key, but it's also where we have to do the most legwork. It's a little bit of an uphill battle to really make a really strong case for that investment. And I think that's one area where Feeding America can really help support food banks is allowing them to have, you know, the benchmarks that they need, just a really strong case and structure for what that investment should look like over a period of time and what the return is going to be so that they feel really empowered to go to, you know, their leadership and make a really strong case um, for investment in this area. It feels like you should probably have a network-led group on how to talk to your board about digital marketing. Like that, that that's a very narrow area, but, uh, but one that probably, it's a frequent conversation, right? It's a very frequent conversation. It is. And I mean, it's funny you say that because it's uh, it's almost like message testing, right? Like things to say, things not to say. Like my wow. meeting went off the rails because I made the mistake of saying this and, you know, don't don't follow in my footsteps. Right. But yeah, you're you're exactly right. Uh, okay, so I, I want to break those three apart just a little bit and talk about in, in, in a few, just in a slightly more detail. So on the staffing side, here's something that I'm curious about, and I know it's a range, but, you know, generally our experience has been that folks, when they, uh, when they bring on and try to bolster their digital teams internally, they're looking for either the more strategic thinker, planner, you know, organizer, or the more doer. And a lot of times what people, the doer being the person that's going to execute. And sometimes that's with an external partner. Sometimes it's not with an external partner. More often than not, I think my perception is that people want to find the unicorn that's the combo. And 
and before I move on to the technology, can you just kind of speak to that? Maybe it's just from the outside of the, the network looking in, and that's just more across nonprofits as a whole. But typically, what do you find that uh, food banks, when they're staffing up on the digital side, what are they looking for? Are they looking for the more strategic piece or the more execution piece, or are they looking for the unicorn? That's a great question. I I would say that they're probably looking for the unicorn. Historically, though, it has probably been a little bit more of the execution, the doer. I think part of that is tied to the digital space sometimes feeling a little overwhelming. If yeah. you don't understand these platforms, they can be intimidating. And so you want someone who can understand it, can go in, can, can do all the things. And so because of that, I think that it, there's probably been a little bit more focus on the execution side than on the strategy side. Now, what I would say is if you're hiring this digital person, it should be part of your, it should be part of your overall fundraising strategy. And whoever is responsible for developing that strategy should at least be able to connect the dots between the fundraising strategy and the online channel. And we've had a lot of conversations with fundraising leaders across the network about this, that online fundraising isn't supposed to be the part of your fundraising program that you essentially carve out for interns or entry-level staff right? That fundraising leaders have a role to play when you talk about the importance of integrating digital into your program as a whole. And that a lot of the exact same principles and practices that everyone knows and is comfortable with from the offline space and for direct mail apply in the digital space too. If anything, in some cases, they're easier, they're quicker, they're more efficient. So, you know, really getting folks to not be so intimidated by the channel, but really think about how our tried and true fundraising strategies still apply, how you think about segmentation, you know, how you think about testing. The same principles that you are accustomed to from direct mail can apply in the digital space. It's really at that point more about how they're being executed at the channel level. And that's where you might want a little bit more of uh, an execution expert. But to your point, the unicorn is, is what brings those two things together. And you need to have that connection between strategy and execution. Um, I would just argue that it's not about one person. It's about how the team works together and how um, you know leaders can connect dots from strategy to execution. And executors can really come in and talk about how execution can also drive strategy a little bit and where there are opportunities within um, you know, different platforms or different channels within the digital space um, to to take advantage of those to really meet whatever your overarching fundraising objectives and goals are as well. I mean, it's so it's so well said, and and I think that we've seen this accelerate as digital has taken on a, a new life in the last couple of years and a a it's actually kind of moved up to the adult table. And I, I don't mean that in a way like, I, you know, I mean, Lindsay, you're, you're a digital native, right? You, you've got, you have that in your DNA from, as you said, your kind of first posts on the agency side. I too started and cut my teeth in digital, but it seems like you have to pay attention to it now as a part of, of a major cog of how you 
organize and go into market to both attract and acquire and convert new donors and maintain communication with other donors in the same way that in our own personal lives, like we have to pay attention to the way that we communicate digitally with people because that's just how people communicate now, right? So I appreciate so much of what what you're saying there. It's that, yeah, digital is all grown up. And so we need to treat it that way and make sure that in terms of the way that we're orchestrating our strategy, we're not even thinking about it in a binary direct mail and digital scenario, but that it is about how we communicate across platforms, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. And and like I said, you know, um, while the unicorn is great, there are um, there are pitfalls on both sides and where we would love to, to just lean into where there are opportunities too. So um, for a, a leader at a, a you know, a fundraising lead at a food bank, I am not expecting them to know HTML and to be able to edit an email and even necessarily deploy an email in their system. Um, but it's really important for them to know and understand the role that email plays and how it connects to the rest of their program. Likewise, uh, somebody who is more on the execution side might know that you can do this really cool thing on XYZ social platform, but if it doesn't map back to the overall fundraising objectives and goals, then you shouldn't do it just because you can. Um, So I think that that's where there's almost like kind of checks and balances in place and really trying to pull those two worlds of strategy and execution together is where you're going to see the most success for your program. And it spins off a whole new level of data like it just, it's just like data shrapnel now that's thrown off through everything that's happening in digital, which to your point is why evaluating your systems, making sure that your technology is in place. And so you get the right people and then you have the right tools, systems, processes. And ideally what blossoms, as you said, is being able to take more sophisticated approaches like with paid media in your market and across new platforms. Um, so that that it paints a great picture, uh, but then as we look ahead, there is still a looming cloud of uncertainty. Now, as you pointed out, food banks have they turned into minutes in the last two years. Like there, it's just it's incredible the amount of uh, of attention that they are getting. Right. And the ability for people to give back into their community, it's impressive on a whole different level. There's uncertainty about is that the new normal or is there going to be a fall off? There's uncertainty about, you know, maintaining uh, as many of these COVID related donors as possible and what that looks like. Now there's uncertainty around, okay, I'm, I'm taking my events back to in-person, but do I also still need to do a hybrid or a virtual because that increases my costs, which can impact my net. Like there's all these really complex decisions. And then there's things like inflation and recession and costs going up. And so I'm not chicken little, I'm not saying the sky's falling, but I'm pointing out like there's all this uncertainty when you hear that from the network what do you say? Um, you know, I think that the the pandemic has really changed our our overall mentality. 
right? The resilience that we have seen across this network over the last two years is absolutely incredible. I know that I said in the early days of, of the pandemic at my former food bank, it was, it was running a marathon at a sprint pace. And that marathon has now been going on for, for two years. But I would say what has changed over the course of the last year or so is that we were able to become a little less reactive, a little bit more proactive, um, recognize that resilience and could really plan for, for the future. So there was, you know, that the drinking from the fire hose, the, the first few months, not really knowing how long this pandemic was going to last. I think most of us thought we were measuring it in weeks or in months, certainly not years. But, but once we could kind of catch our breath, the network really turned to sustainability and sustaining that long-term growth. And I think that mentality has been so critical. We've talked about the importance of operating from a mentality of abundance instead of scarcity. And I think that, you know, with the fundraising team and partnership with finance teams and leaderships and board, there has been a lot of focus on how the generous outpouring of support during the pandemic was really going to ensure that it was going to last as long as it needed to, even after that huge surge in giving started to decline. So there has just been a lot of planful conversations between fundraising, between financing and operations and programs to make sure that 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 resilience is just in place. But I think that you're exactly right when you start talking about inflation and the possibility of a recession, that conversation affects food banks in two different ways. One is just core to people facing hunger, right? The cost of food is, you know, up at grocery stores 10%. That probably doesn't come as a surprise to any of us because you're probably feeling it in your household budget. I know I am. Um, but but households that are low income, they spend about a third of their budget on food. So they're forced to make impossible choices between groceries and other necessities, which we also know are on the rise. Rent, medicine, transportation. We all know what it is to, to fill up our gas tanks right now. So now more than ever, inflation is helping us to understand the tough choices that people facing hunger have to make every single day. And that really needs to be at the core of our fundraising appeals. If that wasn't enough, food banks aren't immune to those rising prices either. So every aspect of food bank operations is seeing significant increases, whether it's from purchasing product to transporting product. Um, you know, food banks are moving twice as many truckloads right now in comparison to where they were before the pandemic, but costs for transportation are up 20%. Food banks are paying 40% more to purchase food to meet that increase in demand and to make up for fewer food donations or less government product. So it's creating these gaps in operating budgets that really need to be filled by fundraising and private support. Um, so that, that you know, kind of twofold um, impact of inflation is really what should be at the core of our cases for support right now and really helping um, supporters understand, really paint a picture for what it is for people facing hunger right now, what it means to work at a food bank and what it's gonna take for all of us to work together 
to really get through the next couple of years. And one of the ways that, that you're helping provide support is by one, staying on top of the trends, right? Between resources that you provide and ways that you're helping think through, you know, what it looks like if someone is seeing a softening in gifts, if someone's acquisition, you know, is slowing down compared to the last two years. Uh, talk a little bit about that as we kind of land this conversation and and the, the way of cutting through uncertainty, you know, that our frame of reference is one, you know, just because there's uncertainty doesn't mean that you, you don't peel back, but you act smartly, right? You have to act smartly. You have to continue to be resilient, as you said. Uh, but then just talk about the, you know, the way that you're using data to help the network navigate that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, um, we talked about this a lot during the pandemic, and I think that the same thing is true today, which is, you know, you can only control what's in your control. You've got to recognize and be smart about what those external factors are, but you can't be paralyzed by them. And and turning to data in those times can feel um, a little reassuring. So one thing that we have done um, back at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, our team worked with the Boston Consulting Group to create basically a fundraising projection model. And at the time, the goal was to really understand how high this surge in giving was gonna be, how long it was gonna last, and, and what a kind of a return to a new baseline was gonna look like. It was only based on probably two or three weeks worth of data in March. Um, so really, really at the beginning of, of the pandemic, but at least gave us something to, to look at as a network and, and some kind of um, kind of predictive roadmap for us, us to at least expect or to follow. Um, over time, we've continued to update that model with actuals from the network every quarter. And as we've been able to fuel it with more and more data, and as we've gotten a little further out from the beginning of the pandemic, that model has become more and more reliable. And I know from my time in Cleveland, um, I used that model when I was doing my first, you know, COVID budget, at least to have my, my forecast rooted in something that was coming from a third party source that was data informed that I could share with leadership and the board to say, you know what, I don't know how fuzzy my crystal ball is, but at least I'm not just pulling this out of thin air. It's rooted in some kind of some kind of data. And, and we've seen the model get more and more reliable. We've also started to create kind of subsets of the model. So now we have versions that are broken out by the size of your fundraising team, um, your, your food bank quartiles. So we look at, at food banks and quartiles across the network, as well as environmental peer groups. Um, and we've armed food banks with essentially a, a worksheet that gives them all of the, the base model assumptions and then allows them to make adjustments as they see fit for their programs in terms of the compound annual growth assumptions that are, that are built into that model. We've seen it be really um, more reliable in, in 2021. The network um, exceeded the best case scenario at the end of last year during the holiday season and into Q1 of this calendar year. But we have been hearing just anecdotally from the network that there has been a softening in performance in Q2. So um, as many folks wrap up, not just their quarter, but their, their fiscal year over the next couple of days, 
we're going to be really interested in seeing the the Q2 data that we'll we'll get in July and start to analyze that in August and see if we need to make any adjustments to this model, just given how performance has, um, you know, just started to soften over the last couple of months. And, you know, to, to your point earlier, looking at if we need to make adjustments to account for inflation and a recession, I think we also need to think about if there are going to be other giving priorities leading up to the midterm election, including reproductive rights and gun control. And if, you know, those factors need to be taken into into consideration as well. Um, But it is one area where we we can look at that data at an aggregate level and give it back to the network in a way that is hopefully really actionable for them, um, at least as one input for, um, you know, for, for their budgeting and, and their forecast moving forward. It's such an invaluable resource. And, and look, none of us know exactly what, uh, we don't know what tomorrow holds, much less the third quarter and, you know, the fourth quarter and the next year. Uh, but but we believe that data can be our light in the darkness, right? To help us, we may not have all. It may not shine a, br- a bright light, you know, wide, but it helps us stay on a path. And so, you know, uh, applaud you and your team of one putting this in motion of the work that you did early on with BCG, but then second, continuing to refine and arm the network so that they can stay out front. If nothing else, it's it should give them a peace of mind of one less uh, piece of uncertainty. And uh, and so, you know, I, I think that that's a, um, I think it's a wonderful thing that, that you're doing in the midst of all the good things, Lindsay, that you and your team do to help, uh, you know, food banks across the country. So, well, I think that, that uh, takes us really to the end of our time uh today ronnie is there anything that uh any anything that we missed i can't think of anything i think we covered it pretty well i i i just had one quick follow-up for Lindsay, just out of my curiosity the model how how far does it look into the future is it three years five years just curious it's not a magic eight ball it doesn't No, certainly (laughs) <laughs> no, it um, it is set right now to go through the end of fiscal 24, and that's essentially when the model has us returning to a kind of a standard new baseline for compound annual growth. So the model right now is based on um, compound annual growth against 2019. And by the end of fiscal 23, 24, that's when we would be returning to essentially five to 6% compound annual growth, which is what we saw before the pandemic. Um, but really it's a, it's a slow softening between, um, between now and then. Very cool. Very, very cool. Love that you have these data oriented tools to help empower decisions. The way that you're fostering, uh, you know, knowledge share within the network and, helping them understand whether or not it's continuing to take a step forward and maturing in digital uh, and transformation or navigating uncertainty. Uh, you know, you really are providing uh, such wisdom and guidance. And so, you know, on behalf of our food bank clients, thank you for what you do for them, Lindsay, and, uh, and certainly the partnership that we have uh, with you of, of helping share data and understand what's happening uh, from what we see, from what you see, et cetera. Uh, you know, I, I talk about this uh, frequently with uh, with my wife, who's in the education space. So, you know, this is a, a, a time that's fraught with uncertainty. 
Um, but there's something about that and the opportunity to work in the midst of this uncertainty to help find new ways to do things that are core to what we do, like, you know, whether or not it's teach children, provide for those who uh, are food insecure, or even just help fundraise. There's something that is um, motivating, encouraging about being able to work through the uncertainties that we have right now. So thank you for what you do. And thanks for giving us some of your time this morning to chat and talk about things that are happening with the network and, uh, and amongst your team. Yeah. I mean, our, um, our motto or battle cry on my team is, um, is sharing is caring. So the network hears us say that regularly. I'm sure I, I share, um, resources and, and data with the RKD team under that banner as well. Um, like I said earlier, you know, we really, we want to, to share all of the great work that's going on across the network. Um, it is really a Herculean effort that food bankers are, um, are performing right now. And we just want to do what we can to really lift that work up and, and help them learn from, from one another. Um, but you all are, are partners in that work as well. So, um, the, the gratitude is shared with, with you as well. Um, and that kind of sharing is, is caring spirit. I think you're exactly right that, um, you know, I know for myself that I can have a lot of, uh, a lot of pent up anxiety and it, uh, it is really nice to come to work and feel like there's a, a way to channel that energy um, in a, in a good way and, and really feel like, you know, you you're rolling up your sleeves and, and trying to do what you can to, to make a little bit of a difference. So um, thank you for, uh, for having these kinds of conversations and, and just creating the space for them as well. Uh, if you want to get connected with Lindsay, you can find her on LinkedIn uh, it's Lindsay I E R O, uh, which is almost the phonetic like that almost, uh, you know, I hear it. So, uh, I E R O, uh, connect with her there and, uh, you can continue the conversations with there, with her there. You can always reach out to Ronnie and I as well. We, uh, we appreciate you all checking out this episode of group thinkers and just a, uh, nudge to all of our episodes are available on Spotify and Apple and, uh, on the RKD Group website, along with plenty of other resources uh, for nonprofit marketing and fundraising folks. So that's it for this episode. Again, thanks to Lindsay for sitting in this morning and chatting a little bit about what's happening in food bank space. And uh, yeah, that's it. We'll, uh, we'll see you next time. See you down the road. Group Thinkers is a production of RKD Group. For more information, visit rkdgroup.com slash podcast. Special thanks to our production team, including the talented Ryan Mellinger for his work on mixing every episode. Also a shout out to the content team that helps pull together research and guests, but it's the marketing efforts behind Group Thinkers. Suzanne, Ronnie, and others for their work on this and every episode of Group Thinkers.